Okay, well, last week we were in Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 1 down to verse 4, and it really was the, the beginning of um, this letter. And we kind of, uh, it was one of those kind of dissection messages where you take it all apart and look at individual words. And this time it's not going to be so much like that. This is going to be much more um, a synthesis of um, verse 5 down to verse 16. Uh, and we speed up as we go through Titus because next week we have the whole of chapter 2 and then uh, in three weeks' time we have the whole of chapter 3. What is going to happen on the 23rd? Nobody as yet knows. Uh, but something will happen, but we don't yet know. So uh, it won't be Titus. Um, well, it could be, but it probably won't be. So um, last time then, uh, Paul is in Rome. Some people think he's in prison. Some people think he's not in prison, but he will soon be in prison. Uh, in two or three years' time, Paul will be executed, and he's in Rome. Titus, meanwhile, is in Crete. Um, and on, if you've looked at um, the Facebook page, we have a picture of Crete. That is a picture of Crete. Um, I put in Crete images in Google search, and so it comes up with pictures of Crete, and it's a beautiful beach with a massive rock. I thought, we'll have that, um, because it gives a really good impression of Crete. But I don't think Titus spent a lot of time on the beach, somehow. I'm not sure people did go to the beach much in those days, except to take ships. Um, Crete was not an easy place to serve God. Crete was a place where men modelled themselves on Zeus. Uh, Zeus was kind of like, you know, the, the Greek gods. They had like um, a soap opera of gods. They really did. Uh, it was like the Simpsons, but they, they kind of, or like Marvel superheroes, but they kind of believed in these things. And uh, Zeus was the chief of the gods, and they thought Zeus was a special, uh, especially kind of um, relevant to them, looked after the Cretans. And in order to encourage that, they modeled themselves on him and, and tried to live like him. And unfortunately, Zeus was... When I grew up, we would have said he was a bit of a boy. Um, he was the kind of fella who would say anything to any woman uh, in order to try and conquer her. You understand what I mean. And so the men of Crete, uh, they thought a cool way to live was to be a liar and a seducer. A liar and a womanizer. That was kind of like life, you know. Hey, life is about lying and getting as many women into, onto your kind of... Um, list as possible. Um, meanwhile, Titus is there, and he's there to build the kingdom of God. He's there to, to announce the good news of Jesus Christ, to see people, people's lives revolutionized by the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, uh, he's got the whole of the island of Crete uh, to, to reach. Now, I don't know what you think about Bordeaux, but I sometimes, uh, we've just moved house and we live in a new residence. And before we were on the ground floor, we saw everyone come and go. It was really easy to meet your neighbours because all you had to do was shout at them as they passed, um, which we then tended to do, you know. We, we're not above that. Um, now we live on the fourth floor and we're not above the entrance. And so people come and go without us knowing the audacity of it. Um, and so it's going to be much harder for us to get to know our neighbours. Um, we're going to have to have strategies. I don't know what they are yet, but we, we're going to have to do that. And Bordeaux, you know, it's not, that's just one building. How do you reach Bordeaux? How do you reach a city like Bordeaux? It's, it's um, a puzzle, isn't it? It's, it's a challenge. 
Well, here is Titus. He hasn't got one city. He's got Crete. It's an island, a whole island. And there are lots of towns. It was known as Crete of the many towns. I have read Crete of the 20 towns. I've also read Crete of the 40 towns. I don't know how many there were. Uh, but there were, there were a lot of towns. And um, what is Titus going to do? And it's not promising solid. It's not as if, you know, the Cretans are all saying, hey, you know, we'd really like our lives to be revolutionized. We're fed up as Zeus, you know, we'd like something better. And they're not doing that. So what does Titus do? Well, Paul tells him, look at this. This is just amazing. Verse 5. Paul says, I, I detect a slight hard tone. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, I'm not going to go on the hard tone that I detect because, you know, kind of like it's not in the words. Um, but I am going to go with the words that, uh, that Paul writes. Titus, appoint elders. That is the tactic for you to, to, to reach the whole of Crete. Appoint elders in every town. There must be a band of brothers in every town. And that's my title, okay? A band of brothers. You might have seen that. Was that on the screen? No. I left it out because I wasn't sure what it was in French. Uh, but a band of brothers in every town to reach the whole of the island. Now, some of you are sisters and you're going, excuse me, what about us? We'll come on to sisters next week, okay? So um, there'll be plenty to, to say about sisters next week. But for now, we're talking about these bands of brothers that are going to reach the island of Crete. Um, I kind of think appoint elders sounds like one thing, but appoint bands of brothers sounds slightly different. So I'm going to go with that. I hope you'll forgive me. I will use the word elders, and we will explain the word elders, as well as other words that we find in the passage as well. Yeah? So what brothers? Who are these brothers going to be? Well, the thing is... I mean, who are they going to be, this band of brothers? They're going to be Cretans. They're bound to be, aren't they? They're not going to be anyone else. They're going to be people from Crete, uh, which I've spelt wrong. Um, but they're going to be people from Crete, from every town, who will band together to form this band of brothers. That's how it's going to be. And um, Paul uses various words to describe what they're going to be. They're going to be elders. The word is presbyters um, in, in, well, kind of, presbyteros. It gave us presbyters. It also gave us presbysi, yeah, which is what I've got, which is why sometimes I have to put my glasses on. Um, it's what you get when you get old. Uh, you get so that you can't see the people at the back. I can't tell who you are, but it's good to see you. Um, <laughs> a bit. I see, see you vaguely. Um, uh, it's, it's to do with maturity. Yeah? It's not necessarily age, it's about maturity. Elders, presbyteros. He calls them overseers. Look at verse 7. Since an overseer, that word is episkopoi. Episkopoi uh, has come into our languages as bishop or as evêque. Uh, the English language has mangled the word and so has the French, you know? Uh, but both those words, bishop, you can trace it back to episcopoi, and évêque, you can trace back to episcopoi as well. And you've got circumflex in French to show that, you know, some of the letters have died on the way. Um, and in, in English, we don't do that, so kind of like you have to guess. 
But an overseer just means someone who oversees, someone who's taken a, a kind of um, a, a global view. And the idea here especially is of defence, someone who's overseeing to make sure that nothing happens that is going to trouble the people of God. Okay? Defence. And then the other word that, Titus, that Paul doesn't use in writing to Titus, but is used um, a lot of places in, in the New Testament, is the word pastor. Um, and pastors, that's a different aspect. It's about feeding and caring for and building up the people of God, okay? So you've got three different names for the same people, and it indicates three aspects of their role. One is that they're mature, yeah, they're mature. Another is that they kind of watch out for people and defend the people. And the other is that they look after and they uh, feed and care for the people. Now, if these people are going to be from Crete, yeah, these guys, it's obvious that they're going to be different from your average uh, Cretan, aren't they? Um, how do they get like that? How is it that they turn from being lying womanizers to being the kind of people that Paul describes? Well, they're people who know God's grace in the gospel. Yeah, They know God's message of salvation. But they're also people who know God's grace in their lives. Because it's one thing to know the message in your head. And it's another thing to have the message burning in your heart. Okay? Um, Spurgeon. Uh, in London used to talk about the vital 18 inches. He meant the message going from there to there. I don't know if that is 18 inches, but it was in Spurgeon's case. Perhaps he was short or tall, I don't know. Um, the vital 18 inches. That makes all the difference. You know, you can know things in your head, but it doesn't change your life. But when you know things in your heart, your life begins to change. And so, in the life of these men from Crete, their life had begun to change. Okay, so how were they different then? Well, Titus has various criteria that he has to apply, okay? And um, the first thing that Titus uh, is told is important is that they must know and love the truth. Now look, um, especially at verse 9. I'm not doing this in order, okay? Verse 9. Uh, Paul says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, this one, we could do a whole message on that verse, really. You know, um, you could write a book about this, frankly. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose it. Okay? So what is happening in this verse? Well, here is this guy, and he receives the trustworthy message. The very first thing about him is that he is capable of being taught. He can receive. Yeah? He can listen. He can take seriously. He can reflect. He can assimilate. It can enter into his heart and his life. He can receive the trustworthy message, yeah? As it has been taught. i taught to him. And the next thing, he can hold on to that. He can retain it. He can see the importance of it and, and uh, keep that uh, in his life. 
And so he knows the trustworthy message and keeps it. But also, he can encourage others. He can pass that on uh, in a positive way, encouraging others by sound doctrine. So, positively passing on the message to others, but also refuting those who oppose it. People say, oh no, you know, it's not like that. And he says, well, it is. Because do you remember what Jesus said once and what they told us about the Lord Jesus Christ? And there's this and this and this, and you can back that up with Isaiah. And therefore, and so he can defend the message. Okay? So there's these different stages. He knows how to receive. Um, every now and again, I'm going to challenge the blokes here. Okay? Do you know how to be taught? It isn't every man who knows how to be taught. And especially uh, how to be taught things that are really important. Um, I have a confession to make. Um, it took me a long time to become a Christian. By that I mean four or five months. And the four or five months were not spent trying to be convinced by the gospel message. I was convinced the moment I heard it. I knew it was true. But the four or five months were spent fighting against it. Because I didn't want to give in. I didn't want to admit that I'd been wrong all the time. I didn't want to admit that. Um, sometimes we can be like that, can't we? We don't want to admit that we're wrong. And we don't want to receive something new. And so my challenge to the blokes, but to all of you really, are you able to receive? Uh, sometimes people say, are you teachable? Okay, if, if that word does something for you, are you able to receive, are you teachable? But then do you see the value of the message? You know, is, is that something really important in your life? And then are you able to, I've got the word here, articulate it to others? Um, I remember talking with a young man once who was absolutely convinced he was called to gospel ministry. I said, oh, why? How, how did you get this idea of call? And he said, oh, I just did. And I said, could you enlarge on that? He said, no, not really. And I thought, I'm not convinced. You know, I can't see how this is going to work. If you can't articulate that, what can you articulate, you know? Um, and so there's a sense in which people can articulate it, and they can articulate positively and negatively, okay? Um, okay, so firstly, the truth. The truth is in his heart and his life and uh, in his mouth. And then Paul gives us a list of criteria which are negative and positive, and he gives us six of each, okay? Six negative and then six positive, and I hope there are six on there. I did count them, but I'm not very reliable today. Um, the first thing Paul says is, he must not be blameworthy. Now, it's put in a funny way in the English translation. An elder must be blameless, but the word doesn't exist in English. An elder must be unblameworthy. What does that mean? Does it mean he's perfect? No, it doesn't. But what it does mean is, um, when somebody, this is how one person put it. If somebody launches an accusation against him, everyone is shocked. Yeah? Someone says, for example, someone says, do you know that Alan embezzled 2,500 euros from the church funds? And they all go, what? Rather than, oh yeah, yeah, that's typical, I can see that coming. Um, it's the, oh yeah, yeah, that's typical, I can see that coming, that Paul is saying he mustn't have. Yeah? It must be the kind of person who, you know, frankly, dodgy. Um, so that's it. He's unaccused. Yeah? The second thing, not 
arrogant. I like that in the French translation, not arrogant. Um, the English one says not overbearing. Um, it's not someone who, who he can't listen. It's always got to be his way. He'll, fu- he'll fight you down, you know, he'll shout you down. Um, not like that. Not quarrelsome or quick-tempered. Um, another confession. There was a time when I was quarrelsome. And um, I had to take nine months off uh, because I was unwell. Uh, and the symptom of it was that I was quarrelsome. So watch out, you know, if, if Alan starts getting, you know, kind of, you want to you wanna quarrel? Okay, fine, let's go outside and quarrel. Uh, then <laughs> it's a danger sign. Um, well, yeah, but that wasn't my character. I'm not normally like that, I think. Um, and so the person shouldn't be quarrelsome. It's not someone who just loves to have an argument, you know. Uh, that doesn't help. Not a drinker, yeah? Not given to drunkenness. Uh, he's not given to wine. Uh, it's, it's, it's not uh, someone who, who kind of, you know, that, that is what he loves. That's what he does. Uh, not a bully or violent. Do, do I, does everyone know the word bully? No, not necessarily. A bully is someone who, it's kind of related to being overbearing. It's someone who's, who's got to have his own way and he'll press you until he gets his own way. Uh, a bully or violent or, or um, yeah. And then not greedy for money. Uh, not um, given to dishonest uh, gain or greedy for money. But then there are positive criteria as well. And in some ways they're ref- the reflection, the opposite to the negative. Someone who's hospitable. He likes people. Yeah? Someone who spends all his time in the study and only likes books, doesn't like talking to people, well, it's not going to work. Um, someone who, yeah, this is a really hard one to translate. In the French, it's got ami de gens de bien. So, who likes good people. Okay. Um, the English translation, one who loves what is good. And what it means is loving the good that, that's all it's saying, is loving the good. Now that might be good people, it might be good things, it might be things that are excellent, morally excellent. And the implication for me is that he's like God. You know, God is good. Taste and see how the Lord is good. And so this person, he likes things that are good. He doesn't always like things to be tense and difficult. Things should be good. And then self-controlled. Someone who can master himself. The hardest person to master. Uh, Someone who is righteous and upright. um, Holy and disciplined. Now, there's a sense in which all these criteria, that is what God is achieving in the life of every Christian. Yeah? Be they uh, male or female. That is is what all of us should be aiming at. There is not, not one of those things... That is, that is not appropriate to the people of God in general. Um, so, so here is this list, and it's, it's describing someone who's a mature Christian. A mature Christian, yeah? And then afterwards, um, there's this aspect then that Paul puts first, that we haven't talked about, uh, in verse 6. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe, and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And Paul says, you know, if you want to know whether a man can serve like this, then a good place to look 
is at his relationships. Christian service is relational. It's relational. It's about your relationships. And so, um, that's why Paul says, look at how he is with his family. Is he faithful to his wife? Can his wife be faithful to him? Can his children be faithful to him? Is he the kind of person that you can be faithful to? Yeah? Uh, do his relationships work? Not like the Cretans, who did not aim at that. That was not as part of their agenda, you know? And so this person, it's someone who's really been transformed. His vision of life, his view of himself, his view of what life is all about, his idea of women has been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now then. Um, this is the bit that I'm a bit scared of doing. Um, because I have to confess that some of these criteria, and especially the last one, I get really upset. Uh, because too many of my friends have uh, had to leave Christian ministry because of sexual failure. Um, uh, and it's always the best. It's always the most gifted. It's always the most talented. It's always the cleverest. I think of one man, uh, shining light, excellent man. Uh, I, I thought he was wonderful. I just absolutely thought he was marvelous. Um, he committed suicide um, after being exposed as someone who was having an affair with several members of his church. Um, I don't know how to cope with that. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to process that in my heart, you know? Where do you go in your heart from that? I think of another man. I still want his commentary on Revelation. And it was pulped because he left his wife and his children uh, to set up home with a man. And uh, again, I kind of think that... Uh, and this man was once described to me as the finest preacher in the world. In the world. Uh, and I love his book. I still have some of his books and I love his books. And the finest, most gifted, cleverest people uh, are the ones who fall like this. Uh, and so I, I need to warn you. I need to do that for the sake of myself and for your sake. Okay? This is a heavy responsibility that comes from me, to me, from God. Okay? And from this passage. Okay. Um, you know, Roman society, you respected power. And the Romans had no idea of things like um, orientation and all that kind of thing. You used whoever you wanted to, in whatever you want, wanted to, if you could. Yeah? So it was all about predation and all about power. And Paul says, amongst the people of God, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be like that. We are going to be radically different from the society around us. We come from elsewhere. Our culture is eternal. Yeah? We have eternal life. We don't live the life of France or of the Netherlands or the USA or wherever we come from. That is not our culture anymore. Our culture is heavenly. Okay? Right. Here we go. Sorry, this is going to sound really stern. Men, respect and honour 
the women around you. Respect them. It's really important. If you do not respect and honour women, then you are disrespecting people made in the image of God. It's an offence in the nostrils of Almighty God to have a disrespectful attitude to women. So when women say things to you, you listen. Yeah? Sorry, this sounds like scolding. Um, Second thing, men, especially those in ministry, be very, very, very careful. Um, Pat and I have been accused sometimes of being very, very strict Uh, One person said to me, in your mission, because I hide behind the mission, I say, the mission won't allow me to, and uh, then I check with the mission afterwards, they say, oh yeah, you mustn't do that, so that's that's good, Um, the mission backs me up, they know why I do it, Um, and, and people have said, oh, your mission is very strict, they won't let you share an office with a young woman. Uh, at the back of a church with the door locked where nobody can see you I say no, no they won't no they won't Uh, and and you need to be very very careful because it is very easy to get into situations where your ministry will be destroyed and your life will be destroyed Um, yeah I could give you a list of people. Uh, you know, I'm not that old. I could give you a list of people I know. I know personally. Friends of mine who've fallen in this way. Women, be very, very careful. Your tongue can destroy a man's life. You know, in the climate that we're in today, all the me too and so on, you know, where, where people say, oh yes, you know, he, he behaved inappropriately with me. Um, before you know it, a man's career can be destroyed. And not only that, imagine the effect on the church. And so be very, very careful. Your tongue can destroy a ministry and demolish a work of God. So, if ever you're tempted to say something in anger, master the anger. Before you say anything, deal with the anger first. Keep your mouth shut if necessary. Say, I can't speak now. And, and deal with the anger and then speak, yeah? Uh, because it's very, very easy to start something that you can't stop. And then the last one, grow up, you know? This is an issue of Christian maturity. We all know what it was like to be teenagers. You know, teenagers, and we giggle over all sorts of things, and we, uh, there were magazines that were going around in school, and there were jokes that we laughed at, and there were words that we thought were clever to use, and... And it was disrespectful of women. You know, those days are gone. We're not teenagers anymore. Some of us are not teenagers yet. You have these joys to come. Um, Let's leave that behind. You know, this is about maturity, Christian maturity. It is time for us all to grow up. Okay? Why? Well, Titus is building a band of brothers, several bands of brothers. And these bands of brothers, they're going to be awesome. There's going to be a little army of holy people who will be set loose on the island of Crete. Crete has never seen anything like it. 
And here will it be these men, and they're devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they want God at work in their lives. They want to be pure, as pure as pure can be, as pure as they possibly can be. And they want to work for the Lord Jesus Christ in the island of Crete, to see the island transformed. And isn't that an awesome thing? To build a band of people like that. Titus needs help. He does. Uh, Paul says at the end, um, verse 10 down to the end, and we, we're going to sketch over this really. Uh, Paul says, there are many rebellious people. There are lots of people who oppose. And Titus is on his own. Well, with a band of holy brothers, Titus won't be on his own anymore. And there'll be many rebellious people, but there'll be many holy brothers too. Um, there are many errors, but there'll be many people who know and love the truth and they can articulate it. They can explain, they can refute. Uh, they can um, refute the errors. Uh, Paul talks about ethical errors. Yeah? Uh, Paul talks about um, doctrinal errors. And Paul talks about hypocrisy. We know what that is. It's saying one thing while in your life it's another. And um, the errors are many. But this band of holy brothers will be unleashed on those errors. And in that way, Titus can serve with a band of brothers. Uh, and that is an awesome thing. You know, um, I think we all count as millennials. I, um, I just need to check. Am I a millennial? Please don't shake your head. Thank you. <laughs> I think we all count as millennials. I remember reading an article about millennials. And one of the things about people who weren't millennials, people who were before, they liked working on their own. They all said, oh, you know, I want to work on my own. I want to work for myself. I want to manage my own time. I want to do what I want. You know, I want to, I want to be a uh, boss of my own uh, schedule. But millennials are not like that. They all say, I want to work in a team. I want to work together. I want to have a group of us all working together. That's what I want. And uh, millennials are like that, aren't they? Um, we, we all want to work in a team uh, because we feel safer, we feel stronger, we feel helped, we feel corrected, we feel we need it, we feel we need it. And so when we work in a team, that's so much better. And Titus can have all the joys and the challenges and the strength and the blessing that comes from working in a band of brothers. Well, it's not been a very detailed look. I did warn you it would be kind of syn a synthesis. I don't want to say synthetic because it's got other connotations, doesn't it? A kind of synthesis of this passage. But I want to finish um, by simply reading uh, the, a beautiful psalm that talks about uh, brothers. Um, and about people who live together in unity. Yeah? Um, and it's Psalm 133, and I'll just read it. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want to see in Bordeaux? Isn't that what Titus wanted in Crete? To see God's blessing descend and bring life forevermore. Well, we know what to do. We must appoint bands of brothers. Uh, so let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your uh, words through Paul to Titus. And we thank you for the encouragement and the challenge of this. And we've had to face up to some issues that are really hard. And we pray that you would help us with that. Um, Help us not just to listen and then kind of shut our ears and then it's all over. But help us to stew on that in our hearts and to really think about how that affects our lives. And what changes we need to make in the way we think, in the way we relate to people, in the way we talk, in the way that we listen. Please help us, we pray. Uh, We don't want to be people who who are are disrespectful, but we want to respect one another and to live as your people uh, together in this world. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us this joy of working uh, in bands of brothers, uh, knowing your unity, knowing in our diversity a greater strength, and knowing your blessing descend. Please send your blessing on board, we pray. And let life everlasting spring up, because we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.